and welcome back to Biblical Time Machine, your favorite Bible history podcast, I'm sure. Um, I am one of your hosts, Dave Roos. I am here with Helen Bond, professor of Christian origins and uh, an author of a book about today's topic, Pontius Pilate. Um, Helen, do you remember even writing this book? <laughs> it was a long, long time ago. Yeah, no, I think it came out in 1998 and it's called... Uh, we were just children. I, I was I was still in nursery, honestly. It's called <laughs> Pontius Pilate in History and Interpretation. It's got the catchiest title ever. <laughs> I know. Well, I'm sure our readers already own it. Our, our, readers, our listeners already <laughs> own it. But for the few that don't, please run out and buy it. Can they still buy it? They can yeah, buy yeah. It. It's it's available in uh, paperback too. Cambridge University Press. Terrific. I'm, sure I'm looking here at Amazon. Ooh, why is it so expensive on Amazon? You, I hope it, you get all uh, this money. <laughs> no, I must... don't. Honestly, I get about two um, percent. All right, fine. Then don't don't buy it. Steal it or get it out of your library and <laughs> and read it. So Pontius Pilate, or as, as Helen calls him, Ponty P, because she Ponty they're P. on they're on a, a nickname basis. Pontius Pilate, of course, um, is one of the main bad guys of our Easter story of the Passion narrative. He is the Roman governor he's the roman prefect we call him and we'll get into what that means who uh presides over the the trial of of jesus and you know is is responsible question mark for for ordering his crucifixion that's something we're gonna we're gonna get into the gospels kind of try to take the blame from him um and of course jesus's trial is at the center of of the easter story so we're gonna we're gonna try to figure out what we can know about who Pontius Pilate was, what a prefect would have been in, in Roman ruled Judea, which is where we are in the in the first century. And uh so yeah, Helen, let's let's get into it. do we know anything, you know, from the Bible or the sources outside of the Bible about who Pontius Pilate was before he got to Judea? Like where would he have come from? What status of society would he have been in? What what do we know? Well, very little actually, um, almost nothing about him before he came to Judea. Mm. But but what we do know is that he's he's a Roman aristocrat. He's the sort of the bottom rung of the Roman aristocracy, and uh, and a Roman knight. So um, knight? he would, okay. yeah, a knight. Um, he would have had sort of three names. So he would have been called something like Marcus Pontius Pilatus or Gaius Pontius Pilatus. Mm. But um, I really, really wish we knew his first name. Um, <laughs> then I wouldn't have to keep calling him Ponty all the time. But um, it's really frustrating, but we don't know his first name. Um, and he's probably had a, a military background in the past. Mm. He probably came to the emperor's attention through, you know, military prowess or something like that. That that was a normal way that you got this kind of um, provincial appointment. All right. So, yeah, so he's been appointed. Who was Who was the emperor that appointed him? It was Tiberius, but um, this is the time where he's quite... He's being influenced quite a lot by the prefect of the Praetorian Guard called um, Sejanus. So it might hmm. have been a mixture of the two of them that that were as responsible for getting Pilate his job. All right. So yeah, what what is this job? Why was he sent to Judea? How long? Like, had Judea been under Roman rule? Like, was this the beginning of that? Like, yeah. What what was Pilate there to do? 
Yeah, well, that's a really important point. How long had Judea been under direct Roman rule? And it's mm. actually only about 20 years when oh, Pilate yeah. comes. So, so before that, they'd been uh, ruled by, by the sons of Herod and then Herod the Great oh, before yeah. that. So, so there's a level of stability, um, sort of repressive stability during that period. And then you have, um, Herod's sons and, and, and it's, all over the place then. Mm. And then um, you get direct Roman rule from AD 6 onwards. So it's only been about 20 years. Pilate comes in 26 AD. And um, so it, it's still very much kind of acclimatizing people to direct Roman rule, getting them used to having um, the Roman governor there rather than um, the Herodian princes. All right. So so Pilate gets there in, you said, 26 AD, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. and so what's what's kind of like the situation that he walks into? Like, what's the relationship at the time between, you know, the locals of Judea and, and these Romans that are that are kind of occupying this this area? Probably quite difficult, actually, because it's it's they've only been under Roman rule for 20 years. Um, there's a lot of change. Um, people have got to get used to the Romans. They, they only have auxiliary troops, not not legions. But still, you know, it's a different way of operating. And and Pilate's whole point is to to keep law and order there. Mm. He's got lots of different people around too. There's Jews, there's Samaritans, mm. there's Gentiles or non-Jews. So I mean, you know, a lot of people in a very very small area. We sometimes forget just how small Judea was. It's the size of Wales, um, if that means anything to mm, you. It doesn't. <laughs> small, small. <laughs> probably probably kind of like one of your states, if that yeah, even. Sure. I mean, it's really really. Yeah, because we're talking like it, it is just a portion of of modern israel right i mean in modern israel yeah, is tiny exactly yeah. exactly it's only really really small and um yeah with all these different different people different outlooks tensions so so yeah it's it's a difficult posting it's it's probably not top of your list of mm. provincial postings it's probably not <laughs> not what every roman boy is aspiring to so and i understand when he gets there is it is it when he first gets there that he he kind of has a bumpy start right do we hear from <laughs> i don't know if it was josephus or philo or somebody talks about like he gets there and he, he immediately puts his foot in his mouth or something right Yep, yep, trouble straight away. I mean, none of these incidents are dated, but it does have the air of sort of a new a new governor in the <laughs> province trying to work out, you know, who's boss. So so we, we get quite a few stories in Josephus and okay. one story in Philo and um obviously the, the the story about Jesus in the gospels. So we've actually got quite a lot of source material mm. for for Pilate. And this is one of the stories that um that Josephus says and, and it's at the beginning of his account of, of Pilate. He says that Pilate um, came in and he changed the the Roman guard, the Roman soldiers in the Antonia Fortress in Jerusalem, which is right next to the the temple. I mean, it sort of overlooks it. It's higher than the temple. Mm. So he changed the guard and he put a new squadron in that had a special kind of standards, you know, the kind of the things that the the Roman soldiers hold, um, that the kind of the... the, the, um, Like a shield? What else you call them? You know what I mean? That they're kind of like the sticks like staff or with um, symbols and things. Oh, on, yeah, right. that, that every Roman um, troop has, and these particular um, soldiers have have standards that have images of the emperor on them. Mm. 
Now, they probably got that because of, you know, particular loyal service or something like that. But the problem is, here they are in Jerusalem, overshadowing the temple mm. with these images of the emperor, mm. and that's not going to go down well. You get the impression that Pilate knows that because he he takes the troops there under cover of night, Josephus mm. says. So he knows there's going to be trouble, but perhaps perhaps he just thinks, well, how much trouble can there be? Or maybe he just thinks, you know, who's boss in this right, province? Right. I'm not going to be dictated to. So anyway, he, he puts these, these troops in. And of course, there's, there's trouble as soon as it's light and people see these, um, these images of the emperor. According to Josephus, they go to Caesarea on the coast, which is where Pilate has his headquarters. Mm. And, and they, they besiege his building for five days and five oh. nights. And finally, Pilate gets really sick of this. So he sends out his troops and they all take out their swords. And Pilate says, right, you know, move or I, I run you down. And, and according to Josephus, they all sort of extend their necks, he said. They kind of show their necks and, and oh. they all say, we're willing to die rather than, mm. um, rather than transgress our customs. And so, um, apparently Pilate is sort of pretty surprised by this and decides that actually the best course of action is just to move the troops out oh. of the, out of the Antonia fortress. So it's kind of got the impression of a, a new, a new guy in town seeing how far he can get away with things. Mm. But obviously he does, you know, he, he does listen and he learns something from that. Oh, yeah. And and he's not he's not wanting excessive bloodshed and he does kind of change his policy because of that. Hmm. But does that, yeah, I mean, does he come across early in, in Josephus and, and Philo, does he come across as, as capable or kind of like you know, bumbling a little bit or like what? <laughs> No, no, I mean, pretty capable in mm. Josephus. They're, they're actually, and, and to people have, who haven't read these accounts, I mean, they're very, very different to the accounts that people might know from, from the Gospels. Mm. I mean, in the Gospels, he's this sort of fairly weak, vacillating figure. In, um, in Josephus, he's, he's sort of neutral to, neutral to harsh, I would say, mm. fairly insensitive, um, doesn't always get it right. And, um, and and often responds by just sending in the troops. That's kind of his first yeah. idea, um, which probably is what most Roman governors did yeah. anyway. But but Philo actually is really really negative towards oh. him. He absolutely hates him. He gives a complete character annihilation. He <laughs> says he was greedy. He was um, you know just he's just after the money. He executes people without trial. Oh. He's a mean and spiteful and angry person, and and he's really really negative. The only thing is, you have to take take that with a bit of a pinch of salt because um, Philo tends to use the same language for anybody who he thinks does anything against the Jewish law, oh, okay. and so you know he's very dramatic. You're either really bad or you're really wonderful. There's no kind oh, of middle ground. So, um, so I think you do have to be a little bit cautious of what Philo's saying. All right, and, and but Philo technically was he only like was he a contemporary of Pilate or like he, yeah you know, okay yeah I mean that's one of the really interesting things. Philo is writing around about forty forty one CE, and that's um, that's just very shortly after. Pilate has left Judea mm. and and Philo is also Jewish. So chances are, you know, he he knows people or he's heard stories about 
about pilots. So, so he probably had some, you know, good, good connections. But the question is whether he's wanting to kind of portray the real pilot in his writing or whether he's just, you know, making him into this monster character because, um, because he, he acted against the Jewish law. Uh, but Philo does, Philo does not mention Jesus, right? No, 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 sadly, sadly, he doesn't. <laughs> no, he talks about a different incident where, where Pilate brings some standards into his headquarters in Jerusalem. And, um, and he seems to have learned from the, the standards. Um, oh, this is the second standards? Uh, uh, sorry, did I say standards? Um, no, these are, these are, uh, shields. He brings oh, shields, shields into, uh, yeah. into Jerusalem. Yep. And this time he puts shields inside the praetorium in Jerusalem. So they're inside. Philo says they've got no images, but they do have the name of the emperor. And the full name of the emperor says, you know, Emperor Tiberius, son of the god Augustus. Mm. And it seems to be this reference to the god Augustus inside um, the Praetorium in Jerusalem that gradually gets people upset. And the way Philo tells the story, it sort of takes a while for news to ripple out because it's not a major infraction mm. of the Jewish law. I mean, it's a little bit insensitive, but it's in the Roman Praetorium. Mm. So, you know, where else would you put these things? So um, anyway, after a while, um, some Herodian princes go to the Emperor Tiberius and they complain about Pilate. And the Emperor Tiberius makes him take the um, the shields away and put them in the in the temple of Augustus. So um, probably what Pilate is trying to do there is show his loyalty to the emperor. I mean, this is one of the things that Roman governors did. You know, they they're always wanting to sure. to butter um, up the boss. You know, right. butter up exactly. <laughs> I mean, in a way that that we would find. <laughs> really too much nowadays you know they're always dedicating temples or inscriptions and we know of another one that that Pilate had too and he put up one in Caesarea he he dedicated a building to Tiberius in honor of Tiberius um it might be a a lighthouse or something like that so you know they're always at it they're always trying to butter up the emperor but um yeah this time it it just went badly wrong (laughs) Well, all right. So we're getting the impression that we're not sure exactly when, when those events happened compared to the trial of Jesus, but certainly the impression that like people were ready to kind of riot at, at, you know, at a moment's mm-hmm. notice, like whatever type of insult or, or infraction of, of Jewish law that people were, were keyed up and ready to, to fight. So I think that's important to, to recognize this in the historical background that like Pilate was, this was a sensitive territory and, and he had to kind of tread lightly and, and carefully. So let's turn to the, the gospel account because that's all we have uh, to work with about the trial of Jesus. So do the gospels say the same thing? And does each one address the trial and kind of describe it in the same way about Pilate's role? Or does he kind of get more blame in some of them and more you know, absolution in others? What's, what's, what do we see in the gospels? Yeah, they're all subtly different. Um, There's probably a literary relationship between them all as well. So Mark wrote first and then Matthew used Mark and then uh, Luke used Mark and probably John used Mark as well. So, you know, they're all sort of working with Mark's story and adding bits, taking bits away. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, Mark gives this sort of sense of a double trial. So you get a Jewish trial, which is very much a kangaroo court, and then you get the trial in front of Pilate. And and I don't think Pilate is a weak character. That's probably not right in Mark's gospel, because anybody sort of hearing these stories, when they hear the Roman governor, you know, this is a scary person. Mm -hmm. This is a person who has power. This is someone who can send you to crucifixion. Um, but it's it's noticeable that that he is far less hostile to Jesus than the Jewish authorities. Mm. It's the Jewish authorities who keep pushing him to to execute Jesus, and and Pilate is even saying, you know, what crime has he done? Mm. Why why am I doing this? Um, but in the end, he does send Jesus to um, to the cross, and and Mark says because he's he's scared that a, a riot is going to break out. Oh, no. You know, there's there's all these people sort of saying that he should be crucified. Um, in Luke's gospel, I think Pilate is quite a weak character there. He, um, he, he keeps saying he's, he's innocent, you know, yeah. or he, he, there's no guilt. I find no guilt in him. He says that three times. And yet he still sends Jesus to the cross. And he said, he tries to get rid of, um, Jesus. He sends him to Herod Antipas and Herod Antipas sends him back. Mm. Um, so, you know, you've got all of this sort of evidence that Jesus doesn't seem to have done anything um deserving of death and yet Pilate still sends him off mm. um is the hand is John's, the hand washing in all uh, of them no, the hand washing no no oh. no the hand washing is only in Matthew so Matthew, okay. so yeah in Matthew you had this strange thing of sort of one character after another passing off guilt so you have mm. um Judas um who goes to the, the the chief priests and 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 returns the money and then you have um, Pilate washing his hands, mm. saying, "I am innocent of um, of this." And and the the Jewish people there, the whole nation, Matthew says, saying, mm. um, "His blood be on us and on our children." Well, so yeah. so this is kind of passing of responsibility over until finally it's there with the Jewish nation. And that's only in, in, Matthew. in Matthew's oh. account. It's only in Matthew, mm. yeah. And it's I mean it's clearly a kind of a literary embellishment. Um, from Matthew himself, but you know, a terrible passage. But um, but it's the one thing that Pilate is most known for. Mm, you know, if if yeah. you ever say Pontius Pilate, everyone says, "Oh yeah, washing, washing his hands." And then is it? There's that I, again. I don't know. Is it in all the Gospels where he says, "Okay, how about this? We have we have this other prisoner. Like you can re mm. release one of these two. You know, which one do you want to release?" And they release the the murdering crazy guy or whatever. Bar Bar yeah, was. yeah, exactly. Does that have, yeah, that's, is that something that would have happened in, in Roman mm. times? Do we have any idea? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is in all of the gospels. Um, mm. It's, it's sort of a big deal in Mark and Matthew and it's much smaller in, in uh, Luke and John. Um, it's, there's no evidence for a Passover amnesty like that. Mm. And I mean, when you think about it, it, it could be, quite difficult i mean what why would a roman governor say you know to a to a crowd you can have anybody you want <laughs> um it's i mean it's possible that that at the background to this there's some kind of single act of clemency something like that you know because it's the feast pilot might say you know okay i'm going to grant an amnesty to this person mm. or something like that but um but certainly there's no evidence for uh, a a regular amnesty and or, or that people could just choose who they wanted but within within these texts it creates this nice sort of um 
choice mm-hmm. you know so it's it's uh do you want jesus or do you want uh barabbas and matthew really heightens that that choice he has do you want jesus the christ or do you want mm. jesus barabbas so he calls him jesus barabbas jesus so, um, barabbas wow. yeah yeah so you've got that kind of and you know it's very neat little choice and and of course then matthew has the crowd shouting for barabbas right, rather right. than jesus which again is kind of putting the blame on um you know the jewish authorities and the jewish crowd yeah all right well so clearly the author of matthew wanted to make that point but but all of them seem to absolve uh pilot in one way or another well i think i think the thing is that you know all of the gospels are coming from the late first century so so this is a time that's kind of double reason for letting pilot off the hook a bit one reason is that most of the new converts to to the faith are coming from the the pagan world mm. and you know you can tell them about jesus they think it's a nice story nice teaching and then you say but well actually he was crucified by a Roman governor. And then things get a little bit difficult because um, that's a hard one to sell to people. Mm. So, you know, the strategy is very much, yes, he ended up on a cross, but the Roman governor didn't want to do it. He was sort of pushed into it. Mm. It was, it was, he was manipulated by the people. I mean, that's not a good picture of a Roman governor, but Mm. they don't really care about that. Um, and, And the second reason why I think they tend to to sort of increase the the level of responsibility um, for the the Jewish side of things is that Christianity is sort of moving away from mm. the Jewish synagogue by this stage, and they've they've probably had quite a long history of antagonism and and difficulties with um, with the synagogue by this stage. So they're they're sort of retrojecting some of the contemporary negativity mm. towards Jews back into this this account so so yeah so ponty p tends to come out a lot better than he might otherwise have done and you know in reality it may be that whatever jewish involvement was actually very minimal because Pilate would have known about jesus he would have known what was going on probably in galilee but he would certainly have known what was going on in jerusalem and i don't think he would have needed very much pushing mm. to to get rid of a troublemaker certainly a troublemaker with a following at um at passover okay all right well you mentioned troublemakers so let's let's <laughs> let's move on from the gospels for a minute like jesus was not the only kind of upstart messiah figure that the pilot had to deal with right and i'm assuming this was later what wasn't there a samaritan um messiah that that the pilot also had to execute or or put down in some way yes yes i mean there's when you kind of plot all of these uh messiahs bandits troublemakers you know it depends how you kind of see them there's a whole series of these Hmm. um stretching throughout the first century i mean john the baptist earlier too Hmm. so so yeah um the guy you you're talking about is um a a samaritan messiah called the taheb appeared and he's at the foot of um, mount gerizim which is the holy mountain for Mm -hmm. samaritans um it's where their temple used to be we gotta do a samaritan episode by the way yeah i just thought of that (laughs) if we know anything if we know anything about them (laughs) i wrote an article once i got a guy we could oh right right. oh well so i'll interview you (laughs) 
so so this this guy then gets a, gets a crowd of people at the bottom of the mountain and he's promising to take them up the mountain and he's going to show them sacred vessels that Moses had had um hidden on the mountain one little detail that Josephus tells us though is that they all gathered and they they were armed mm. you know they had weapons so not surprisingly perhaps um Pilate sent in the cavalry and they rounded them up just as they were about to start their ascent and um and they killed lots of them um mm. lots of prisoners and the Samaritan Messiah himself seems to have got killed mm. So, yeah, I mean, a diff- different approach to Jesus, but right. um, I suppose Jesus was, you know, just very different because that was the crowded city at Passover and you have to be a little bit more careful about, mm. you know, how you go about things. All right. Um, well, okay, so what do we know about Pilate after, you know, certainly after the after these accounts? Like, how did how did things end for him? Did he did he stick around and keep ruling in Jerusalem for a while or what, what happened? They move on. Well, the, the episode with the Samaritan Messiah has a, a sort of a sequel because after that, um, the leaders of the Samaritans go to the legate of Syria, who's kind of like the top top Roman in the east okay. and, and probably Pilate's boss. And they say that you know they're they're refugees from Pilate. His his administration is terrible, and they're all victims, mm. and they want him to do something about Pilate. So. Vitellius sends him off to um, to Rome. We don't really know whether he thought he had anything to answer for, but maybe he just thought, this is above my pay grade. Mm. I'm going to send him off to Rome to the emperor, and the emperor can decide what to do with him. So Pilate makes his way off to Rome. By the time he gets there, Gaius Caligula is on the throne, but we don't hear anything of him again. So mm. we don't know what happens to him at all. It's possible that um, Caligula decided that, you know, he was to blame or maybe he was executed. But I think far more likely that he just got given another commission. He'd been in in Judea for about 10 years. Um, That was really long, actually, to be in charge of a province. So probably time to go somewhere else and... Yeah, I mean, you know, we know so little about the history of most places in the first century um, that, you know, it's not surprising that we don't hear anything more about him. Hmm. Okay, so 10 years, so 26 to 36, we think yeah, he's, in, he's in Judea, and then he sort of falls off the map. But that is not the last mm. we hear of him, right? So in some later, <laughs> as the centuries roll on, um, some some Christian writers you know they they're fascinated with this figure as much as as we are i'm sure and and we get some other texts that kind of fill in parts of his story right what what are these what are these Mm. texts and and what do we learn about at least the way that you know christians in the third and fourth century were thinking about Pilate? yeah well Pilate gets quite an exciting afterlife i mean people are all speculating on Pilate. i suppose he's just one of those those characters that that people sort of wonder, you know, what was going on in his head mm. and how did he react and how did how did the Roman governor feel or think when he met Jesus? So mm. so you get one stream of interpretation that sort of reads the Gospels and thinks, 
Pilate must have been a Christian. Hmm. Um, Tertullian says he was a Christian in his heart. And you get, um, you, you even get letters supposedly written by Pilate. I mean, they clearly weren't. They make all sorts of historical mistakes. So these letters from Pilate to the emperor to say, oh, guess what happened in my court today? I met the son of God. Uh. And they sort of go on in, in that kind of vein. And they are, I mean, they're, they're slightly bizarre documents, but clearly they're supposed to be Pilate sort of, you know, giving his testimony of um, who he thinks Jesus mm. is. Um, there's other documents, the Acts of Pilate, mm. which is a, a more detailed account of the trial. And again, Pilate is very positive towards Jesus. Um, and in the Coptic church, um, Pilate and his wife are both um, both saints. Because um, Pilate's wife, yeah, Pilate's wife also has this sort of interesting afterlife because oh. she, in, in Matthew's gospel, she's the one who has the, the dream and then right. sends word to Pilate and says, you know, have nothing to do with him because he's a righteous man. Mm. So, yeah, so in Coptic and Ethiopic church, they, they are both saints. There are also some um, some other streams of thought where Pilate is is judged really harshly. So some other texts have Pilate killing himself mm. because of what's happened, or other ones have these sort of evil spirits around Pilate. Wherever Pilate, Pilate dies and wherever he's buried, these evil spirits lurk. Oh. And so he's finally um, exhumed and taken to Switzerland, where he's he's buried in a yeah, Switzerland, I know, why? So he's taken to Switzerland and um, there's a lake there called, uh, called well, no, a, a mountain called Mount Pilatus and oh. there's a lake at the bottom and supposedly he's buried there and the evil spirits still. He's buried at the, the, at, like, at the bottom the of a lake. lake in Switzerland? Yeah. That makes yeah. perfect sense. But it's really <laughs> weird too because there's, a, <laughs> there's also a tradition that he came from Scotland. <laughs> I don't know if you what? know that one. Yeah, I know. From uh, Fortingal in, in Tayside, there's a there's a tradition that um, his father was a, a Roman um, a, a member of the Roman army, and his mother was a serving maid, and and that's where he came from. There's also traditions <laughs> that he came from Spain or Germany, and sure. I, I just find them really weird because you think who is making up these traditions? Is it? I can't imagine it's people saying <laughs> like who wants we to want adopt? Pilot. Yeah, who wants to adopt him? <laughs> Oh yeah, he's got. That's what. No, I know. So I think it's more likely to be their enemies who say, you know, you guys are so bad. Pontius Pilate was one of you, but there are these these strange traditions about him that um, he sort of pops up in the strangest of places. Well, yeah, I mean, I think as we've seen in this episode, like he is, he is an intriguing figure, an intriguing character in this story. He gets, he gets a lot of. You know, a lot of the, the gospel accounts are devoted to to him interacting with Jesus, and we have these mm. these really kind of enigmatic um, conversations that he has with with Jesus, and you can see his, you know, at least the gospel writers are, are trying to portray him being very much, you know, caught between these forces and doesn't know what to do. But um, no, I, I yeah. yeah. I, th I think that's part of his enduring appeal, actually. It's that idea of the person who's got to make the choice, mm. you know, such an important choice. Um, and which way does he go? Does he go? I mean, a lot of people have read it that does he go with his conscience, which is to let him off? Mm. Or does he go with 
convenience mm. which is to send him to the cross and 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 that kind of feels like an eternal question mm. that people are always having to deal with all right well i hope that none of our truth? none of our listeners have to deal with anything like that i hope i don't either <laughs> but um no this has been awesome thank you helen for uh for helping us understand more about Pontius Pilate. And, and again, you guys can go out and get her book about this um, and learn even more. But for now, we will close this Easter edition of Biblical Time Machine, and we will see you guys next time. Thanks. Thanks.